Scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. It might be a text you've heard before or quoted, perhaps. But let me, let me read this. Hear God's Word. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet, under their feet, and turn and tear you to pieces. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Weird text, huh? Like uh, interesting things that Jesus is saying here. Um, you know, uh, the idea of judge, you know, uh, the judgment. How does that work? How important is it? Like, does it matter if we have an idea or a concept or a, a real construct that's able to help us judge or be judged? Or like, how does that work? And you may not care anything about basketball. You don't need to to understand what I'm about to say. But there's been this basketball tournament that's been going on around, and um, the horns are not in it. And so I'm still interested because there's a Cinderella story that's happening. If you don't know what that means, hey, just you should watch more, I guess. I don't know. But can you imagine if the coaches said to the players, all right, boys, we're going to play some basketball today. Here's what I want you to do. Whatever you want. All right? Double dribble, triple dribble quadruple dribble. You do what you want, like just score, all right? The other thing is, um, when you shoot baskets, we may or may not count it. It kind of depends on if we happen to be paying attention or if we want to count it or not. And the refs are not going to play, and beware, there's no rules for the fans either. They may come out there and play with you also. Like, that's chaos. There has to be an agreed-upon reality of what's happening at a basketball game, or it's no longer a basketball game. It's just something else. And that's a kind of an easy like, thing to understand. Um, but what Jesus is saying here, this idea of do not judge or you'll be judged. But then he talks in such a way where it seems like judgment does happen. Like, what's going on there? Is Jesus talking out of both sides of his mouth? We know we live in a world that requires there to actually be something that can say what this is all about or who we are or what's right or what's wrong. It's also interesting in this text, we, we see a little bit of the personhood of Jesus come out. In the Gospel of Matthew, we learn that his father Joseph was a craftsman, we think a carpenter. In the Gospel of Mark, that same title is given to Jesus, this craftsman or this carpenter. So does, isn't it interesting that he picks this illustration about a speck of wood and a plank? You know, this, there's something about who Jesus is that's coming out in this text where he wants to tell you a story that he very much understands as a carpenter. You know, a speck, if you've ever been in a wood shop, there are specks everywhere, right? Everywhere you look, there are specks. What I bet you won't see is a plank in someone's eye. And the kind of plank, biblically, this could have been, it could have been, because plank, it was a broad term, but it certainly was large, but it could have been up to 40 feet long and 5 feet wide. Do you see how ridiculous this, what Jesus is saying here is? It's like, wait, pfft. Specs are irrelevant if I have a 40-foot log hanging out of my head, right? That doesn't make any sense. 
Jesus is trying to make something very clear here, and here it is. Do not judge, or you'll be judged. Do not judge. The ability to judge, what is Jesus saying here? Well, if you keep reading, or if you read in verse 5, what does He say that He does want for us? To be able to see clearly. So what's the difference between judging and seeing clearly? What kind of word games and mental jujitsu is Jesus doing for us here? Uh, and I want us to think about that because as Christians, you know one of the most common criticisms about the church is that we're judgmental, right? We believe in a God who loves us, who calls us to follow Him in all of His ways as defined by the Scriptures. That's why we're Christians. But it can be called judgmental. And yet Jesus says, do not judge. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look through this text together, these, these, just these six verses, and I want us to think about what it means to see clearly and judge, and then how do we take that with us, okay? So let's look at these verses. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Jesus is giving us a command. It's really obvious. It's really clear. Do not judge. Don't judge. One teenager said this. This was a quote about a teenager. This teenager was um, talking about feeling judged and condemned. She wrote this. You know my name, but you don't know my story. You've heard what I've done, but you do not know what I've been through. That feeling that she's feeling in that moment, that's the thing Jesus is saying not to do to people. Do not judge. What happens when we begin to do the very thing Jesus is forbidding is you see the kind of like this, this, this person this, from this quote's from, it's abs- there's a sense of hopelessness. And there's an article written by Tom Rainer that sort of talks about this too. He interviewed thousands of people who self-assessed as not being a Christian. They said, we're, we're not a Christian, all right? And he wrote this article and said, tell me what you think about Christians. What, are, what do you think about Christians? Like, what do you think about them? And so he distilled down seven ideas that were taken from thousands of interviews about people, in, the article was published in 2020, that non-Christians would say about Christians. Interesting, listen to these. Number one, Christians are against more than they're for. It seems like they're either really mad at each other or the world. It's interesting, it's kind of sad. Number two, I don't see much difference between the way a Christian lives and the way a non-Christian lives. Now, that's kind of a double-edged sword because the reality is if you're a Christian, you understand you're someone who's in need of God's forgiveness, that you're a sinner, that you're broken. So yeah, we all, we all have the same struggles. Number three, I'd like to be friends with a Christian. They just don't seem interested. That's, it. That's, that's interesting. Maybe, maybe we should go make more friends. Number four, I'd like to learn about the Bible. That was one of the most common thing in these thousands of interviews. You know, what, tell me what you think about non-Christians. You know, or non-Christian, what do you think about Christians? Well, I'd like to learn about the Bible from them. One of the most common things. Number five, I wish I could learn to be a better husband or wife from a Christian. In this article, uh, Tom talks about this man who's married, and his marriage is falling apart. But he knows his next-door neighbor's a Christian, and it, at least it appears to be good enough to where he's like, what, what is happening? How come they're not having the same, they're able to deal with their stuff? Like, what's happening there? But there was just no relationship. He's like, I wish I could talk to him about it. There could be a bunch of reasons for that. Number six, sometimes Christians act like they don't have problems. Well, that's, I mean, we have problems. We need God's grace. 
every single day we confess our sins each week in this church. But I understand that the reputation of the church sometimes is that we don't have problems. Or number seven, I wish a Christian would just invite me and take me to church. That's one of the most common things out of thousands of people interviewed. Easter's coming up. Don't be afraid to invite your neighbors, okay? Like, invite them to come and hear some awesome music and a reasonable sermon and, and to meet some great people, okay? You know, Jesus goes on. Be, don't judge. You'll be judged. In the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. What is he doing there? Well, Jesus is saying, look, whatever you use to judge people, just know that, like, you're actually communicating that same standard could be used on you, and how are you doing? You know, have you ever told a lie before? I have lied before. How do we treat people when we catch them in a lie? Ooh, I'm going to shame you. That's what I'm going to do, right? Are we a people who understand that if the way we judge people, it's the same judgment that we bring upon ourselves? Even so, we need to be able to discern our world, don't we? We need to be able to understand if you're driving and you cannot tell the difference between red and yellow and green, there are going to be real consequences. We all have to agree that green means go and red means stop. And yellow, to me, means slow down. It doesn't mean speed up. I think that's the debate that's, that like, we still have as a culture. Jesus says, be very careful. Or when you're taking a test, students, can you imagine going to your teacher and saying, hey, any answer I give is the right answer? And they're like, not so much. It's A on this one, not D. Yeah, but I want it to be D. Wrong. Or morality. What about morality? Is there actually a way that we can live that leads to thriving and flourishing? Is there a way that if we live, it's going to lead to difficulty and, and frustration and death? Jesus says there is. The Scriptures say that, they're, that that's true. And yet, He says, do not judge. What do we do with that? Now, if, you're, if you have a question mark over your head right now, you're exactly in the same place that people who are hearing Jesus speak in this moment, where that's where they were. They were like, don't judge, but if we judge, we're going to be judged by our same judgment. Like, what, what, what are you saying? And Jesus goes, okay, let me tell you a story. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time, there's a plank in your eye? So it goes from people having question marks to, okay, we very much see, like, planks and eyes are bad. Specks don't seem to matter as much if you have a plank in your head. Like, we get that. What are you, what are you doing here, Jesus? Now, just imagine for a moment, you're with me at Coyle Middle School in Rowlett, Texas, where I went to middle school. And, it, and we're in seventh grade, and seventh period's over, and I high-five you because it is time for shop class. And we are going to shop class. And I remember going to shop class. I'd be there with my buddies. But this time I brought you along and we have our little apron on, okay? And the shop teacher says, hey, we're going to build a birdhouse. Awesome. We're building birdhouses. I look at your birdhouse and I go, not bad. But I'm going to, there's some splinters right here that I'm going to sand. I need to sand these little splinters off here. That's a problem. And you go, oh, yeah, thanks, man. Let me look at, uh, what is this pile of wood here? Like, what, what, what have you done? I'm like, well, I don't know. I just kind of broke every piece and stacked it up and just thought this is going to be a great little birdhouse, you know? Nothing can live there. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Let me focus on yours. The dude's like, no, 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 no. You have no birdhouse anymore. We have to start over. Like, do you see how silly that is? I'm offering help to sand someone's birdhouse when I've created a pile of, like, kindling. 
Jesus is trying to make something that something very clear. Do not judge. And then he goes on with a little bit of a zinger. You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Deal with the plank in your own eye first, Jesus says. So in review, just to follow the argument, that's what we're doing at this point, just to follow the argument. Jesus is saying, don't judge. It's a command. Don't judge. If you do judge, you're going to be judged in the same way. And then he tells this story about sawdust. And, you know, if you have a plank in your head, you shouldn't probably be worried about sawdust on people's shoulders. And then we come to verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. What's happening here? Well, I think the people hearing it had to ask themselves one of two questions. Ooh, who are the dogs and who are the pigs? Or wait a minute, am I the dog and the pig? Like, where, where do I fit in this story? And both apply. For a dog, you know, this, this kind of idiom that Jesus is using, it'd be like if I had you over to my house and I made steaks and you sat down and I said, okay, man, sit down, we're going to eat. And I took your steak and I put it down in Bentley's bowl and then I poured you some nice Cheerios. You'd look at me like, what are you doing? You're giving to Bentley what's sacred. Like, I can very much appreciate that steak. Bentley appreciates it too, but you would really appreciate it. And then he talks about pigs. And the idea of pigs was, it'd be like kids, if your parents take you to the zoo, and your mom says, ooh, I just love giraffes, and you took your, she took her wedding ring off and said, there you go, buddy, and threw the ring at the giraffe. And then your dad goes, yes, and pulled his wedding ring off and his necklace, and he goes, there you go, snakes. And then they have them. And they, what are they going to do with them? They're just going to walk on them. They can't understand their purpose. They can't understand what it's for at all. And the content of this passage, Jesus is asking you to consider this fundamental concept of how, how do you judge? How do you see clearly? To not see clearly is like giving the dog what's sacred. To not see clearly is like throwing pearls to pigs. To not see clearly is to care more about a speck on someone's shoulder than a plank in your own eye. Christ says, don't judge. How do we live into that? A couple ideas here. One is this. Let's try to define what we mean by judgment. Biblically, you can define judgment in a lot of ways, but think about it like this for a moment. We can think about judgment, this idea of discerning or seeing clearly or knowing. We can think about it um, in, in kind of three ideas that let us think about it in space and time. We can think about it eschatologically. The idea of seeing future. You know, the scriptures tell us that one day Jesus will return and he will judge the earth. He will descend. The clouds will unfold. We can see that as something that's ahead of us that's coming. And then we can think about it historically. If you read the scriptures, what you find in the scriptures is that God is always faithful. In fact, Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, verse 8, these words. Almost. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So we can think about this idea of judgment as something that's coming, it's eschatological, we can think about it as something that's like in the past because God's always been faithful, but we, but we also, the real hard question is how to think about it personally, like how do we think about seeing clearly and judging? 
looking at ourselves, looking at others. And to do so, let's define judgment. What is judgment? What do you use to make judgment? You could use yourself. You know, I can't wait to go mountain biking this week. I think the rain's going to dry up a little bit. I'm going to get to go mountain biking. You may think, I hate the idea of going mountain biking this week. Like, just to use your own personal assessment of reality as the thing to judge, it's just insufficient. It's not enough. It's not big enough. It doesn't take into consideration the reality of everyone else involved. Or you could use philosophical reasons to judge. You know, if knowledge is truth, maybe knowledge is power. And so to know things makes you sort of a little more significant than everyone else in the room. And that's how you're going to judge the value of people or the worth of people or the, the interest you might have in people simply based on um, their knowledge. Politics is like this. We use politics to judge people at times. You know, maybe even certain alma maters. Again, if you don't care about basketball, uh, you don't care. But I'm kind of rooting for St. Peter's at this point, I guess, you know, because they're still up. What do you use to judge Remember what Jesus is doing here. In chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Don't make treasures ultimate. They're going to decay, they're going to rust, they're going to be destroyed. Chapter 6, verse 25, Do not worry. You know, the approach to life that says, If I have enough control, then I have what's ultimate, it's, there's no life in it. And then Jesus says in, verse, in chapter 7, verse 1, Do not judge or you'll be judged. How do we do that? How do we not judge? But then also, how do we see clearly? If you don't want us to judge, like how do we see clearly? What's the difference? Think about it like this. The way Jesus is talking about do not judge here would be like saying this. I see a person, and they're condemned to hopelessness. I see a person, and they, there's no way out. You know, it's like, it's like if you were to discipline your children and say, okay, that's it. You left your plate out. You have not cleaned it up. This is the 78th time, and therefore, you now have to move out of the house because you don't put your plates up. It's this idea of judgment that is condemnation, a hopeless assessment of people, where we actually devalue the thing that God has made valuable because he's made them in his image. It's the no way out approach to people. Do you have people in your life like this? It's actually hard not to if you're honest. Are there people in your life that you're thinking, I just can't see any way that anything positive could ever come from this person? You know, you might actually be right. And Jesus says, don't judge. There's no such thing as a person who breathes air that doesn't have access to something greater if only they will put their trust in our Savior, which is great news for us, but it also means do we believe the gospel for others. It's this idea that your failures will be ultimate. That's what's going to define you. Jesus wants us to consider something else. Is God's love ultimate? Even when it's offensive. That God could actually offer forgiveness to people that we think only are worthy to be judged. And it is. We read in um, Romans chapter 8, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If your hope is in Jesus, those words are true for you. There is therefore now no condemnation, not a shade of condemnation, not a shade of judgment that leads to being hopeless and abandoned. No. In Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. Now, to not judge, to say do not judge, Jesus is not saying never assess. The whole season of Lent is about us looking at our, our own spiritual walks and asking, where am I with the Lord? Where am I failing? 
The difference is this, God's love for us and His value upon us is not based on how successful we're doing in that Lenten practice. It's based on who? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't mean to not assess the world around us. You know, it's like when I see someone texting while they're driving. It's okay that I think to myself, that's not smart. Please don't do that. That's dangerous. Or for us to see things happening in our world and saying, Lord, please, whatever it takes, end the wars of the world. God, would you please even unsettle these governments? That's not judgment. That's asking for God's righteousness to be paramount. Condemnation is not the way of the kingdom of God. It's why if you read John 3.16, which everybody knows, but you read John 3.17, which says that Jesus was sent, the Father sent the Son into the world not to condemn it, but to save the world. The whole reason Jesus was sent was not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Do not judge. So how do we begin to live into that? I want to ask you, um, it's impossible to live life without judging things. It's impossible to live life without making decisions. Even if you want to take a step back and go back to the driving example, you have to choose, do I think that's red, green, or yellow? And life is like that. How do we do it? Let me read you this, just a couple sentences. This is a commentary that Kyle and I have been using in this study on the Sermon on the Mount. John Stott writes this, to sum up, the command to judge not is not a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. Jesus does not tell us to cease to be men by suspending our critical powers, which help us to distinguish, help distinguish us from animals, but to renounce the presumptuous ambition to be God by setting up ourselves as the judge. There is only one ultimate judge and it's not me and it's not you it's the king of heaven and earth and so when you think about this idea of judgment here's the ideas i'm going to give you to take away and they're pretty easy to remember you ready i want you to look up i want you to look in and i want you to look out i want you to look up i want you to look in and i want you to look out so let's start with looking up this is first corinthians or um first samuel actually chapter 2 verse 9 this is who God is. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them He has set the world. He will guard the feet of His faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to His King and exalt the horn of His anointed. When you begin to feel this question rising within you, how to, dis to see clearly, because that's Jesus' point with the plank, right? So you can see clearly. In order to see clearly, we have to start with looking up. We have to understand who God is. He's the one who's laid the foundations of the earth. He set the world in its place. He's the one who says, it's not by your strength you're going to prevail, but rather the Most High who thunders from on high in heaven, the Lord will actually judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to His King and exalt the horn of the anointed. It's actually a picture of the Messiah there. So we look up first. Secondly, we look in. And if you haven't read this text, I'm just warning you, this is going to be a stinger. 
Okay? This is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 to 5. Paul writes this, I care, very, I care very little I am judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. And therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. And at that time, each will receive their praise from God. Do you see how significant that text is? When we look inside, and let's just, let's just, you know, maybe you had an argument this week, okay? And you look inside and you think about this argument, you're like, you know what? My conscience is clear. Paul has another statement to add to that. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. You hear that? When we look inside, we begin to see, even if we can justify everything that's going on, either in our relationships or in the way we're acting or you know, in, our, in our desires and our longings, even there, there is this other part of the rest of the statement. My conscience is clear, but I know that I'm not innocent. Do you realize how that requires us to have a posture of humility any time uh, we assess anyone else because we haven't even gotten to them yet? First, we know who God is. We look up, and then we look inside, and we realize my heart has its own brokenness and sadness. You know, if you ever come and talk to me about what's going on in your marriage, it's sacred. It's between you and me. I don't share it with my wife or Kyle or others. But let me just tell you something. If you come talk to me, part of what I'm going to say is this, especially if you're the person, let's just say it's the guy, just for fun. It's the guy. And he's like, I am 1% guilty for this. I'm like, okay, so your conscience is like 99% clear? Yes. I go, well, you're not innocent. You can own the 1%, but do you really think you know your heart better than the Apostle Paul? My conscience is clear, but I know I'm not innocent. I don't care if you judge me. It's the Lord who judges me. And what does God do when he judges Paul? What does he do when he judges us? At that time, each will receive their praise from God. How on earth can God see into my heart and praise me? You want to know why? Because Jesus was condemned for you. Jesus was judged for you. You're worthy of judgment. Jesus has taken it on. The King of heaven and earth, the Messiah, the anointed one, we read about in 1 Samuel chapter 2. He's been judged for you for all of your sins and for all the sins of those around you. And he offers newness. It's not, he's not uh, offering you hopelessness. He's the God of the hopeless. And he offers a way forward because he is gracious to us. And even the one who knows the inclinations of our hearts, who brings light what is hidden in the darkness of our hearts and exposes the motives of our hearts, he comes and says, I love you. He brings praise. So when you think about judging, and we're talking about people here at this point, when you think about how we're assessing people, we look up to God first. And then we look inside, and then, then we're ready to look out. This is from Acts chapter 10, verse 42. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and of the dead. All the prophets testify about Him that everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. When we look out towards others, do you know what our primary responsibility and goal is? to testify to them about what it is that God has done and who Jesus is. 
Now this morning we had a chance to hear from Crystal Watson, who's in Bosnia right now. A young woman who was brought to this church by a family friend who goes to our church, who came into our youth ministry and now is in Bosnia as a missionary. Do you know what she said one of the most difficult things is for her being in Bosnia? Don't tell them I'm a missionary. Don't, don't let them know that I, I'm like a missionary. And I asked her the question because we were able to do a live interview this morning. Next week we have Brooks Harwood and then Joe Cogden the following week during Sunday school. I said, Crystal, why? She said, there's just been a lot of damage done by Christians in this area. Like, there's just been a lot of things. Like I, the testimony of God's people in that place has to be redefined. It's part of why Crystal's there. And so that who Jesus really is can begin to appear. We look up, we look inside, we look out, and do you know what that enables us to do? See clearly. Christians ought to be the most humble of people, most gracious of people, most kind people. You're being gracious to me because I'm like three minutes over my, my limit right now. Well, <laughs> two minutes and 52 seconds, actually. I'm going I'm gonna, I'm gonna to end it with this. Here's what I want you to consider this week. God sees your heart. He knows you. He sees all of it. He has judged Christ for you. You're free. You're free to be forgiven. You're free to receive, as we read in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the crown of righteousness. You are worthy of being loved. That means people who make you feel otherwise, whatever, whatever it is, whatever perspective it is, it's not God's perspective. And so we're a people of grace. And may God enable us this week to look up, to look in, to look out as we seek to be His people and His testimony even into the lives of those around us. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank You for being gracious to us. Thank You for being the righteous judge. The one who was condemned for our sake so that we could be judged righteous before You as we put our faith in Your message. Would you humble us this week in the sense that we're so inspired by your great affections that we might be able to express that affection towards others and your kingdom might become more visible. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.